Give more grace. That is what's needed. We praise things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so thanks for that. Um, you, if you have your Bibles in front of you, you can open them to 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter number 6. We are doing a systematic study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the Corinthian church has some problems, right? And uh, that's why it's a good book to study because, well, we have problems too. And so we can learn some things from this church. In fact, as I look around Christianity today, I mean, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, I frequently come to the conclusion where I just look around and I just think, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how those Christians are behaving. <laughs> you ever think of that? I mean, I think sometimes, and maybe wrongly, you know, well, probably wrongly. Um, I mean, how in the world can that person really be saved? I mean, you ever think that? It happens, doesn't it? Because why? Because, well, we live in a sin-stained world. We live in bodies that are still tethered to this flesh and the influences of the flesh. And what we're dealing with as we enter into chapter number, well, 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians is we're dealing with the issue of judging others. And really what we see is that while judging others, it's a common practice, right? I mean, everybody does it. Guilty. I mean, we all do it at some level. Um, what we're learning is that doing that is, well, it's risky. Uh, the minority of people certainly do it right. So the answer is not to swing the pendulum all to the other side. The answer is not never judge anyone. That's not the answer. Uh, that may be the preference of people who enjoy living in their sin, but that's not what God says. And if you were with us last week, you learned that God actually delegated to the church that the church is to judge its own matters. And so I'm thankful for Matt that came up and was able to teach us last week and really all the staff and the things that they do as well. But God's word has been clear in these first eight verses of chapter number six. If we went back just a little bit to chapter number five, what we saw in chapter number five was an issue of church discipline. There was one particular member in that church whose sin was so egregious that it was affecting the entire body, and God told them they had to put that guy out. He had to be removed like a cancerous cell from a body that otherwise would kill the entire body. It affected everybody. Now, when the judgment is carried out, although biblically, when it's carried out corporately, when it's carried out publicly, well, it's very uncomfortable, isn't it? And if you've been through that sort of thing, you know it's very uncomfortable. But you know what's weird about it? Oddly, that kind of judgment of others seems to come very natural to us when we do it privately. In fact, we do it so privately, it might actually just be considered gossip if we never even go to the person to give them the opportunity to get right with the Lord or with others that they may have offended. So the way that we exercise it wrongly is that we just sit in our corners and point fingers at everybody and the things that they're doing right never giving them the opportunity or talking to them face to face about it so in chapter number six where we are supposed to judge our own matters well the thing that we saw in the first eight verses was whatever you do don't take your church laundry and air it before unsaved judges that's what the Lord has for us. 
And since we see that judgment really is just a matter of discernment, today what we're going to look at is an issue that you have to understand if you want to judge properly. If you want to discern and judge things properly, you have to understand these two points that we're going to see described for us in the next several verses coming through. And that is the title for today's message. It is Standing versus State. Standing versus State. We have referenced this in the past. You'll hear it again and again. You need to make sure you understand these terms. You need to understand what they mean, how they apply, so that you can properly discern, so that you can properly judge. I'm going to read starting in verse number 9. I'm going to go through verse number 12. I invite you just to follow along. And know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Let's think about these things. Let's ask the Lord to bless our study, and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, I do pray that as we look at these things, that you would be our divine teacher. The Holy Spirit would take your word and teach it to our hearts and our souls, that we would be able to understand and then therefore apply properly this principle that you lay out in many places throughout your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the way that you see. I pray that you will grant to us godly wisdom. You tell us to ask. If we don't have it, we're asking. And so we're asking in faith and we're asking in accordance with your will. So we anticipate that you will, will answer this prayer. We thank you in advance for that. We ask for your discernment specifically regarding this issue of our standing or our state before you. This is a very important point. So we trust it to you, and we thank you in advance in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to jump in right at the beginning. We're going to talk about standing, verses 9 through 11, exactly what that is all about. Uh, one thing you have to understand is that you absolutely cannot properly judge anyone if you don't understand how they stand before the Lord. Because if we're going to judge righteous judgment, we need to understand that righteous judgment is God's judgment. So we have to see things the way God sees them if we're going to judge things the way God would judge them. So the question that we have to consider is, well, how does God see all of us? You ever think about that? How does God see us when he looks at us, right? That's what you need to understand. So I gave you a definition in your notes. Your standing is your permanent position in the Lord. That's what your standing is. It's your permanent position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Face it, there are only two different kinds of people in the world. I mean, as far as the Lord's concerned, right? There's saved people and there's lost people. That's all there is. You say, well, wait a minute. I've been in this church long enough and we've been studying the scriptures together. I remember you teaching that there's actually three groups of people. There's the Jews, there's the Gentiles, and there's the church. Yes, of course, there's three different groups of people, but the Jews and the Gentiles together make up all the lost people. And the church are the people who are new creatures, no longer Jew or Gentile. We're new creatures in Christ. So still there's only two categories, saved and lost. But of all the lost people in the world, well, you're either a Jew or a non-Jew. In other words, a Gentile. 
And so what we have, basically, from God's viewpoint, as he looks at mankind, you're either in or you're not in yet. You're out, right? And so this is a very important thing that we need to look at. So we're going to break these things down in these subpoints we have in our notes. First, first of all, we're going to look at the characterization of lost people. How God characterizes for us and describes for us lost people, verses 9 and 10. And it starts off with this sentence, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you realize? Don't you remember? Have you forgotten? Has it lost uh, its context in your mind that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If we're going to understand exactly who he's talking about, we have to look specifically at the words that he uses, right? This is a Bible study. We look at the words of the Bible. And so there are some key words that we're going to look at, two specifically. And if we get these key words down, we're never going to be confused. If we get these key words and we understand what God's saying by this, then we absolutely know who it is we're talking about. We know exactly the context of what he's talking about. So the first word is unrighteous. Unrighteous. If your standing is your permanent position in the Lord, and he addresses this group of people starting off by saying, Know ye not that the unrighteous, these are the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we need to know who they are. Well, certainly the unrighteous are people without righteousness, right? Uh, If you know anything about the Bible, you know that all men are without righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own, right? And because of that, there is a just judgment of God on all men. This is the story of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. We'll be in Romans a lot today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So there is a just judgment of God. His wrath is poured out against unrighteousness. That's how it works. His judgment comes because God discerns properly and God judges properly. You can go to Romans chapter 2 and see it again in verses 8 and 9. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what's going to happen to them? Indignation and wrath, tribulation, there's a key word, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Why? Because Jews and Gentiles are all the unsaved people. They're the unrighteous people, and if they don't get saved, what's their end? Well, their end, because they don't obey the truth, their end, because they obey unrighteousness, well, it's indignation, it's wrath, it's tribulation. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17, we have a definition. All unrighteousness is sin. All sin is unrighteousness. All unrighteousness is sin. That's how God defines what it is. There is no righteousness in man that's who we are and as a result well we need christ's righteousness don't we because whatever we have is well it's insufficient so in romans chapter 10 and yes the context is specifically the nation of israel but it's people who don't yet understand what they need right in romans chapter 10 and verse 3 it says for they being ignorant of god's righteousness which is offered in christ and going about to establish their own righteousness Work hard, try harder, self-help, self-improvement, clean up your life, be a good person, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves, very simply humbled and submitted themselves 
to the righteousness of God, which is freely offered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God's looking for. So the issue of our salvation, the issue of whether or not we are possessors of eternal life, judicially, anyway, is really an issue of righteousness. We don't have any, and Jesus does. So if you receive His righteousness by simply humbling yourself, confessing your sin, and asking Him for forgiveness, asking Him to have His death pay for your sin, asking Him to have His righteousness put to your account, well then, you're good. I mean, you're in. You're solid. I mean, nothing's going to change. And we'll look more at the details of how that plays out in just a minute. But what I want you to understand by understanding the key word unrighteous is that this passage is clearly not talking about Christians. This passage is clearly talking about people who are not saved. That's the term lost. The next word I want you to understand in that sentence is inherit. Inherit. Well, you know what an inheritance is, right? It's when you take something by descent from an ancestor, usually who has already deceased. And so children inherit the wealth of the family of the fathers when fathers pass or whatever the case might be. And so that's an inheritance, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 50, it says this, Now this I say, brethren, notice, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood, your human life, friends, cannot possibly inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is spiritual. The physical stuff doesn't inherit the spiritual stuff. It doesn't work that way, and all of humankind has a problem. It's called sin. It's called unrighteousness. And the unrighteous don't inherit the kingdom. Therefore, the flesh and blood don't inherit the kingdom. Now, you'd be thinking of other places in Romans and places where it says that we are heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And yes, the Scripture speaks of how we are, as children of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But our inheritance, inheritance, right, has to do with our rewards. It has to do with how we live for the Lord and what we therefore inherit into our millennial rewards it has nothing to do with your salvation the inheritance does not deal with your salvation in fact what God wants you to know is this and I put this in your notes we don't inherit the kingdom of God we're born into it that's how you enter the kingdom of God you enter it by spiritual birth it's not by cleaning up your life it's not by just stopping doing the terrible things we read in these verses here You enter the kingdom of God by birth. That's John chapter 3. That's Jesus and Nicodemus, right? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 5, and he says, Except a man be born of water, that would be your physical birth, and of the Spirit, that's your spiritual birth, right? He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. And so that's the standard. That's what God is trying to help us to understand. That's how we enter the kingdom. So if we understand unrighteous who he's talking about, he's talking about lost people. If we understand inheritance, well, we understand what he's talking about. We understand this is not a message in these first couple of verses written to people who are saved. 
We, under, we need to understand that the standing of the audience that he's dealing with in verses 9 and 10 is really what he's dealing with. He's dealing with unsaved people. That's who he's dealing with. This is really important. So he goes on to characterize them, and he gives the list. And the list is what it is. It's long, and it's nasty. And there's all these different behaviors that have all these different ways of describing all the things that people get themselves into from time to time. And so many of them we looked at when we looked in chapter number 5. And if you're interested in the definitions of those, you can go back and listen to that message off the website. But it lists fornicators, idolaters, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. All those different kinds of things that we find people involved in. And, and then in this list, he adds some. He adds adulterers. Well, obviously, adultery then is different from fornication in the sense that it's a subcategory of people who are married. If you are married and commit, you step out on your spouse, well, then that is adultery. Uh, thieves, well, that's obvious. You take something that doesn't belong to you, well, then that's theft. Effeminate. Effeminate is a word that is referred to for males. Okay, this is a sinful behavior for males. Uh, it's also used for homosexuality. It is translated one other way. The Greek word translated effeminate here is translated one other way, and the word that is used in, that, in, in Matthew chapter 11 is soft. When it talks about John the Baptist, he said, what did you expect to see with John the Baptist? Somebody in soft clothing, soft raiment? Is that what you, in other words, they're saying, John the Baptist was a real man. He was a preacher of God's word. What did you expect to see in John the Baptist? Forgive me for making a contemporary comparison. A crossdresser? He's, you expected to see a guy like that? No, that's not, that's effeminate. Uh, abusers of themselves with mankind. Again, this is active homosexual behavior. Uh, it's described as abuse of the body. In fact, that term, abusers of themselves with mankind, is also used one other place only, and that's in 1 Timothy 1.10 where it says, them that defile themselves with mankind. These are just among the lists and lists and lists of things that characterize unrighteousness and unrighteous people. They're, they're typical. It's what they are. And each item in the list, every, each and every item in the list is sin. It's sin. So the people that are characterized by that are sinners or unrighteous. Uh, there's other lists, by the way, and we won't take a lot of time, but Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, it talks about the works of the flesh are manifest and are these. And there you have it. You have very similar things. You have some other things added to it, witchcraft, hatred, variance, seditions, heresies. It goes on and on and on. These are the works of the flesh. And it says at the end, they, they that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. See the theme? Again, we have the same context. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it gives us another list, right? And it says that all these terrible things and all these people who do all these terrible things, they don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Why? And as a result of that, what's going to happen? Well, because of these things, well, the wrath of God is coming on them. God's judgment's coming on them. Why? Because they don't have any righteousness. Because they're unrighteous. That's the idea. Romans chapter 1, more lists. I mean, it just goes on and on. It says in verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. 
And then it goes on and it lists all the things. You read them. You look at the lists. I'm not trying to pick any one any worse than any other one. God just lists them all. They're all in there, right? And at the end of that few verses, ending in verse 32, it says, these people who knowing that God judges, knowing that there's a judgment, and that they which commit such things, they're worthy of death. They don't only just do them. They like it when other people do them. Well, that's wicked. That's evil. So what's he trying to say? Well, what he's trying to say in verse number 9 is exactly what he says. Don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived. The unrighteous will never inherit the kingdom of God. It will never happen. Why? Because they're unsaved. They can't. They need righteousness. They need God's righteousness. So now let's go back to the theme. Let's go back to the context of what's going on in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. The context is judging others within the body of Christ. And what we're learning is, coming off of verse 8, don't take your matters, church, to the unsaved judges. Why is that? It's because they are not qualified to handle the issues that you deal with. Unsaved judges have no spiritual understanding regarding the new birth. They don't understand the new creature. They don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the struggle with the flesh. They don't understand the importance of your influence and your testimony, etc., etc. But you need to understand these things. You need to understand the real issues that go with being a member in the body of Christ, being a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you are going to rightly judge others' issues within the family of the kingdom of God. That's why you don't take it to others. That's why you don't bring them in. They could not possibly put together all of the nuances of issues that people could be dealing with. All they can possibly do is just judge on external evidence alone. They can't go any deeper. They can't go to the inside. They can't realize a real-life transformation who, by the way, still struggles with sin from time to time. They can't realize how that works, and all they can do is judge outward judgment, and I think I remember the Lord saying something about don't do that. So that's why we don't air the dirty laundry in that forum. But he goes on then, in letter B of your notes, characterization, of course you know what the blank's going to be, save people. And so it says in verse 11, notice, and such were some of you. Not all of you, thankfully. (laughs) But some of you actually were like that. Those behaviors found in that list. You were, but you're not anymore. Because now you're saved. And we have some key words, and well, you know what the key words are. Well, the first one is washed. But ye, Christians, ye, church, are washed Right? Can I just run you through some references real quick? You know what this is all about. Titus 3.5, what's our salvation all about? Well, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We don't have our own righteousness, right? But according to his mercy, he saved us, what? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's what he did. He washed us the regeneration. It's the new life. It's the new birth. It's the new creature. 
It's called the washing of regeneration. How many of you were saved like I was late enough in life that you had gotten dirty enough with sin that when you received the Lord Jesus, didn't it just feel like you just had a bath? Didn't it just feel like he washed away all that garbage and you got a fresh, clean start? That's exactly what he did do. Now, the five minutes after you received Christ, your external appearance looked the same. And you may have continued to struggle with some of the issues you struggled with before, but God doesn't see it that way anymore. Because your standing before the Lord, Christian, is washed. You're washed. But ye are washed. But ye, here's the next word, are sanctified. You're sanctified, made holy, set apart. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's the church. That's the Christians, sanctified in Christ Jesus, Romans 15, 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching the gospel to the lost world, Paul says, so that those that receive the Lord, this would be the offering to the Lord that would be acceptable. Why? Because they have now been washed They've now been sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Third word, justified, but you are washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified. These are just different technical nuances of the whole package that is salvation. You say, I don't understand all the technical nuances. Yeah, okay, who cares? I mean, it's great if you do, but that doesn't mean you're still saved. He did all these things for you. If you didn't understand them before, hey, rejoice in the fact that you now understand them better. These are things he does. When we studied the book of Romans, we learned very clearly what does the word justified mean. We, we kind of break it down to its component parts and be just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God makes you. You're cleansed, you're washed, you're sanctified. These are almost synonyms. Acts 13, 38, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe, there it is, that's salvation, right? All that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. We'll get back to that. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's by grace, through faith, all you that believe right? That's our salvation. We understand this. This is all of our standing before the Lord, if you've received Christ as your Savior. You stand before the Lord perfect, holy, washed, set apart, a new creature, clean, righteous, eternal, Now, we're going to get to state in a minute. You know, your state, (laughs) still working on it. But when God sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. I exchanged my old nasty rotten life for Jesus Christ's life. 
by his grace, he offered that to me and to you. That's our standing, y'all. These things listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, these evil behaviors could never, that's not how God sees you all. If you stumble into some of those terrible behaviors listed in 1 Corinthians 6, well, that's a problem and you should work on that. But the truth is, that's not how God sees you. God sees you as clean. God sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. You need to understand the standing. Now, again, with the context of understanding why this is so important in judging, well, because mistakes happen all the time. People blow this all the time. People make very poor judgments all the time, and there is a very obvious one I'm going to give to you now. It's the example of not properly applying a man's standing instead of his state before the Lord, and it is the, the case of what we will call five-point tulip Calvinism. So five-point tulip Calvinism means that the, the doctrine of Calvinism uh, set forth most popularly by a guy named John Calvin during the you know, French and Swiss Reformation really just a rehash of Augustine's teachings from like the 4th century, the Roman Catholic theologian, uh, put forth five main points that the acronym T-U-L-I-P represent. Uh, sometimes these are referred to as Reformed theology. Sometimes these are referred to, I think erroneously, the doctrines of grace, as though they got the corner on it. But that's what you'll hear. you hear people talk about the doctrines of grace. you hear them talk about, like, all the Reformers believe. That's not true. That's not true. So, five-point tulip Calvinism, very quick review, we're not doing this today. Uh, T stands for total depravity, and the idea that, that man can't possibly be saved on his own. Well, that's true, but that's not really what they mean. What they really mean is total inability, that you don't even have the ability to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. That's not true. Uh, unconditional election. In fact, all the problems with the five points has to do with the adjective. <laughs> election, okay, there is an election in the Bible, but this unconditional election that God just arbitrarily from before the foundation of the world decided, like picking petals off a daisy, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, you know, I'm saved, I'm lost, I'm saved, I'm lost, I'm saved. I'm. And, and they just think that, well, God either chose you unconditionally to be saved, and, and you couldn't not be saved if you didn't want to. Uh, and you couldn't be saved if God didn't choose you if you wanted to. Uh, that's part of the heresy that they teach. The, the L stands for limited atonement, the craziest of all the points. Uh, the limited atonement is Jesus Christ didn't die for the sins of the whole world, even though the Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the elect only. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen or ever heard. Uh, but they believe that. Uh, a limited atonement. Christ's atonement was limited only to those people that he chose before the foundation of the world and the other people, well, tough. <laughs> Stinks to be you. Uh, irresistible grace is the I. Uh, grace is, is the greatest thing that, I mean, man, it's a, my favorite part about God, the grace of God, right? But this irresistible grace is when God pours his grace out on, on you, you couldn't possibly resist it if you wanted to. See, all these things fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. They're all messed up. And uh, this irresistible grace, God draws you, you couldn't say no even if you wanted to. It's irresistible. Although there are verses in the scripture that say that certain people resisted the grace of God, <laughs> word for word. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you'd have to have, you'd have to have like a seminary education to believe this stuff. <laughs> but the P stands for preservation of the saints. And this is where they really mess up. Preservation of the saints. Um, now, they will try and tell you that preservation of the saints means 
that once God has unconditionally elected you and irresistibly drawn you and died only for you and all this kind of stuff, that you absolutely 100% guaranteed will persevere, saint, in the grace of God, walking in holiness for your entire life existence. The true Christian people will always persevere. They will always do what's right. They'll always come back and they'll always do that. That's what they teach. Truly saved people will live right. And what this turns into, oddly, they try and pass this off as eternal security. Do you believe in eternal security? Yes, I believe in eternal security. Oh, you're a Calvinist. Because only we believe. No, you don't. You have perverted it all. And so what they have here is they will say that if you don't, they'll, they'll, they'll sit back and judge. And they'll say, if you're not living right, well, you know what? You're not persevering. And if you're not persevering, you know what? You're not really saved. You're really not one of the elect. You're deceived into thinking you're one of these. See how crazy it gets? That's what they'll do. And so what they're going to do is they're going to say that a true believer will, taken out of context, Matthew 24, 13, will endure unto the end. All that endure unto the end shall be saved. has nothing to do with the church, by the way. It's another day's sermon. But they take that out of context to say that the perseverance of the saints, everybody's always going to do right. Now let me just tell you something. If you've been alive and saved for, I'll give you five years. If you've been saved for five years, and you hadn't figured out that Christians mess up, (laughs) either you live a great life with great friends, or you live in a cave somewhere. Come on. There's too much of the book. The book of 1 Corinthians is for all of us who mess up. You know what that is? And I say all that not just to point out my least favorite doctrine because it is so popular and so sweeping through the minds of Christians today, but it is a perfect example of unjust judgment. That's what it is. It's judging the salvation of others based on how they live today. At the end of the day, this unconditional election thing flips the coin and actually ends up being a a system of works. That's what it ends up being. It's crazy. According to them, if you sin too much, (laughs) they'll give you room for a little bit because, well, they're blowing it too. If you sin too much, how much is too much? Well, everybody picks. Too much is more than me. That's what it is. Because whatever my system is, it has to include me being in it. So wherever, however much I sin is okay, but if you sin more than that, you're not okay. And if you don't do that, right, you can't be saved. That's nonsense. You know why? Because your salvation's not connected to your works. Ever. Not before your salvation and not after, by the way. So look at your notes. A man standing before God has nothing to do with works. It only has to do with his response to Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. What is your standing before the Lord today, friend? Maybe you came in here. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you come all the time. Maybe you're a young person. Maybe you're not so young. And you are not 100% sure that, God forbid, your life was going to end sometime soon. You're not sure you'd have a home in heaven. Your standing before the Lord is with the unrighteous. But if you have received his free gift of eternal life, your standing before the Lord is perfect and holy and just. Not because of what you did, but because of what he did. That's your standing. That's the important thing you need to understand. 
So you read the list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you say, well, if you do some of that stuff too much, you're just not going to heaven. No, no, that is wrong. It's not for Christians. I mean, it makes for good revival preaching, but it's not good doctrine. You know, not all good doctrine is good preaching. (laughs) And not all good preaching is good doctrine. So you need to understand the Bible. You need to understand what's true, because either it's true and it's true and it's true, or it ain't. And I don't care how good it sounds or how good it makes you feel or how many people it gets down the aisle. If it's not true, it's not true. So you only can judge rightly if you understand somebody's standing before the Lord. You got that? Pretty straightforward. Let's look at the state. Verse number 12. And this issue of verse number 12 is going to recycle another couple of times before we're done with 1 Corinthians, so I don't need to spend too much time on it. It says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So we'll define what state is. Your state is your current condition in the world. Your standing is your permanent position in the Lord. Your state is your current condition here and now. Right? And the Bible defines the word state for you, Philippians 2, 19 and 20. But I trust in the Lord, Jesus, to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. I'm sending Timothy to you so he can check out how you're doing today. He can come back to me and let me know how it's going. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your current condition, your state. Paul understood it, Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, which constantly changes, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound, I know how to be full, I know how to suffer need, I know how to be rich, I know how to be poor, I know how to be free, I know how to be imprisoned. These are different states that we go through. Conditions, daily things that change. Your standing in Christ never changes, no matter what you do. But your state, nah, that's another story. It changes all the time. That's the real life. That's the daily life that you live. Yeah, your standing is perfectly holy, washed in the blood. But in your current state, you still struggle with sin. And by the way, much of what we read in this book is here to remind us that living in sin after salvation, although Christ sees you as secure and holy, living in sin after salvation, friend, brings consequences. It brings consequences. It's just that going to hell is not the consequence. That's not the consequence. But there are other consequences. And that's what we need to understand. This is an important balance. You've got to get them both. You have to get them both right if you're going to understand your Christian life and certainly if you're going to think that you're going to judge somebody else properly. So we're going to break this down into a couple of points. The first one is the rule. The rule is, well, it's good news. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. That means, like we've stated enough already, that nothing a Christian does is, here's the the key, you ready? Against the law. All things are lawful. Nothing is against the law in context, the law of Moses. The Old Testament covenant, the law of Moses. Nothing that a Christian does is against the Old Testament law. The law judges the deeds of man. That's what the law does. 
So in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, we see this. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. The law is not made for Christian people, but for the lawless. And then it goes on with the, with the list. Disobedient, ungodly, sinner, unholy, profane, murderers, da, 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 da. And it goes on at the end of verse 10. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. What's the law for? Well, the law is written, right, so that the lawless recognize they broke the law, right? Violation of the law brings sure judgment. And the law then becomes the tool to show us that we have a problem so that we can turn to Christ for his righteousness. And that's what Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. By the law is salvation? No, by the law you recognize you need salvation. So Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So, the law is the Old Testament law. The, the law brings condemnation. The law points out sin. The law shows the just judgment thereof. So it says for the Christian, all things are lawful. In other words, they're allowable. They're permissible for me. Now, I know where your mind's already going. We're going to go there. Hang on. But they are lawful. That's what the Word of God says. Because of Romans 10.4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Hallelujah. The law was fulfilled in Christ. The punishment of the law was put on Christ. If you are in Christ, well, that doesn't apply to you. Hallelujah, it doesn't apply to us. You don't want that. And God gave us a new law, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen. So nothing is against the law of Moses for a Christian because the law of Moses has no power over us. Christ already fulfilled the requirements. So in other words, you have liberty in Christ. You have freedom. You have liberty in Jesus Christ. Some might say, well, isn't that dangerous? Well, okay, I get it. There are Christian people who have been saved, but they're so afraid of falling into the flesh and the sin, they don't want to talk about liberty. They don't want to talk about eternal security. They don't want to talk about how we're free. They don't want to talk about that because they just fear, maybe they know themselves too well, that they'll go straight into the deepest, darkest places of sin hanging tightly onto this eternal security. Well, I get that that's their philosophy. It just happens to not be what God reveals, right? So what they'll say is something like this, or the question, and let me ask it this way. I put it in your notes. Uh, here's the question you might ask. Well, once I'm saved, does that mean I can do whatever I want? I mean, that's the danger. That's the risky part, right? Somebody says, oh, man, you're telling me I'm free. You're telling me uh, everything's lawful. You're telling me anything goes. I just read a list of terrible things. You're telling me that's all okay? Well, let me answer your question with a question. Now that I'm saved, can I do anything I want? Let me answer it with this question. Um, what exactly do you want? What exactly do you want, Christian? What exactly do you want, born-again Christian? 
washed in the blood, saint of God, who used to be all in, wrapped up in that other junk, and God has made you free from all of it. What exactly is it that you want? Do you want fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do you want fellowship with his body? Do you want to walk in holiness and to please the Lord with your life? What exactly is it that you want? Because the people that object to this Bible truth are the people who really deep down in places they don't want to talk about. They want the dark stuff. Or they're worried that they want the dark stuff. Now we have flesh and we all struggle. But deep down in my soul, when I fall, when I blow it, when this thing gets me in trouble, I'm grieved afterward. Like, man, what an idiot. What, what was I thinking? My heart is broken for stuff like that. It's not that you never blow it. What is it that you want? Can I do whatever I want? Yeah, do whatever you want because now you're not bound to the bondage of your flesh and the sin anymore. Now you've been made free by the law of liberty in Christ Jesus and you can do what's right for a change. Lost people can't do that. Go do what you want, Christian. You can do it. Man, don't say that. Guys are going to run off. Well, well, you know, God will take care of them. By the way, you don't have to. He will. I've got to get back to my notes. <laughs> Letter B. We got the rule. Here's the balance. You've got to get the balance. The balance is the responsibility. We've got to have some responsibility, right? That makes sense. So he says, all things are lawful, right? But, don't forget, it's not all expedient. I'm not going to allow it to control me. The word expedient would mean advantageous. Sometimes translated better. It's not better <laughs> if I just do anything. It's not beneficial. You know how it's also referred to sometimes? Bringing together. It has to do with the common good. Yeah, I may be free to carry out something even after salvation that you all don't understand. But because you won't understand and because it'll freak you out and because everybody will go crazy if they think they hear about me doing it, it's not in the common good, is it, for me to do it. So it's not expedient. It's not expedient for me to take that liberty and to use it. Uh, we'll circle the field on liberty again. I'm not going to take a ton of time today, but the real issue of liberty is not just can I get away with it. The real issue of liberty is whom do you love more? Do you love yourself more than your brothers? That was kind of the theme of 1 Corinthians, isn't it? Being selfish instead of the community. Um, do you love the Lord more than you love your freedom? Do you love your brother in Christ more than you love your freedom? I'll set aside my freedom for you. That's the exercise of liberty. That's what we're dealing with. Why? Because Romans 14, 7 says, None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. You're not an island. Hey, leave me alone. This is just my thing. I'm sorry. You affect me, and I affect you. So here's the balance. The rule for a Christian is liberty. Yet the responsibility is charity. You need to have charity for others. So live a holy life. Why? Because it's charitable to Jesus Christ who suffered your punishment. Because it's charitable to the body of Christ, you're just easier to get along with. <laughs> 
sure you have liberty. That's the rule. But man, the responsibility, care. Care about it. So you're saying, I know people's, I know how the flesh works, man. I know how, you know, the old man works. You're saying it's okay. Okay, I'm not doing the really bad stuff on that list. Covetousness, you know, whatever. You're saying it's okay to steal stuff a little bit. It's, I mean, it says not law. I mean, it's lawful. You're saying it's okay to speak harshly, to be a reviler. No, absolutely not. Not even a little bit okay. Paul addressed it in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer than? Can I do whatever I want? Yes. What is it that you want? So, notice. Even though your permanent standing in Christ is fixed, your daily state in the world is flexible. Behavior that's lawful still might be awful. That is a good word. Behavior that's lawful, Christian, still might be awful. Because God's purpose for liberty is to enable you to live your life sin-free. That's what it is. You've been made free from the law and free from the power of sin in your flesh. You don't have to obey it. Lost people have to obey it. They have no alternative. They have no other power in their life that allows them to even be able to escape until they receive Christ. They have no way out. You're going to let those guys judge your issues? How foolish. How foolish. Romans chapter 6, a couple more places, verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Jump down to verse 11. Likewise, here's what we should do. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members, hands, feet, eyes, ears, mouth, tongue, anything. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from your de- the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law. But under grace, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Come on, y'all, seriously. God forbid. Here's the takeaway. This is where we're landing. Rather than allowing your flesh to fill your mind with all the sin you can do and get away with, not go to hell, let the Spirit fill your mind with all the service you can do. That's what the Lord wants us to understand. I think about a Father's Day message. Man, if the dads get this, 
You're doing good. You're doing good. You can lead your families right by understanding the difference between standing and state. And can I just say, concerning the judgment of Christians, y'all, pack up if you want, but don't miss this. Seriously, we all have liberty. We all have liberty. Do I need to say it again? We all, all of you, have liberty. So you got to get this. Please, Christian, do not rob someone of what God gave them. God gave them liberty. Don't legalistically require others to behave exactly like you do. God may actually give them grace in areas of their life that God did not give you grace because God knows you can't handle it. You take, this, what, you take this point I just made and you run with it in your mind and think of all the exceptions why you think it's dangerous. You work it out with the Lord and that is fine because at the end of the day, it's your personal relationship with Him. And thankfully, I only have to live mine and you only have to live yours. But come on, y'all. The Lord gives liberty to all of us. And some guys struggle with stuff, and God will never give that guy the liberty to, to partake of certain activities because this is going to be trouble. But he might give somebody else complete and total grace to deal with certain things that you might think is questionable because they don't struggle with it. They're fine. It doesn't hurt their faith one bit. Christians are new creatures, every one of them, but still live in the flesh. They still live in a sin-sick world where regular people we deal with the same issues and if we're going to judge things right well we got to understand are we talking about our standing or are we talking about our state and we need to understand liberty and we need to understand that there is a rule but yes there is also responsibility and if we get that down you know what we're doing we're learning how to discern if we're learning how to discern you know what we're doing we're able to judge and we cannot just judge on the outward appearance we can see behind the surface and we can actually wrap our minds around what actually is God doing in the life of this person and how do we help facilitate that. Isn't that a life you want to live? That's true freedom. That's a life that has meaning. That's a life that has purpose. That's a life worth living. That's a life that's so much more interesting than just making a bunch of money. It's so much more interesting than just being really good at some sport or whatever your thing is. You're actually investing in things that matter that change lives for eternity. And that's what you've been set free to do. Let's pray and let's ask God to just bring it home and put on your heart whatever the application is he has for you. Heavenly Father.